0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank You for Salvation that is found in the person and work of Christ. Our hearts go out to relatives, friends, in whom there is no Appearance of a love for you and your cause and your kingdom and your word. And we pray, our God, that if it seemed good in your sight, that you would turn their hearts unto you. We are helpless. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the beauty of it. We thank You that the Word of the Lord endures forever. And we believe that Somehow in the glory world, we will ever be learning of the truths of the Holy Scriptures. We will never have all knowledge, only you have that. Thereby believing that our knowledge shall always increase. Nevertheless, we know that when we wake in your likeness, we shall be satisfied. May that day come soon. Until then, we ask that you would guide and keep us and sustain us by your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. In our study of First John, we uh, spent uh, a few verses, a few sermons, mainly talking about John and giving an overview of him. The first epistle of John. Uh, the time and the place in which it was written is unknown. Uh, as with other epistles, it appears that it was it has to do with the last times or the last days. In first John chapter 2, in verse 18, John says, little children, it is the last time. Though you see, the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. And you remember uh, when we were uh, studying through the book of Revelation, we talked about that we're living... In the last times. And the last time, and we we pointed out then that the last time or the last times plural is different from oh and, and the last days plural is different from the last day. And we pointed out that. Uh, the last day, and we won't go back through all of those verses, the last day is more indicative of the day when the Lord returns. (coughs) The last time or times or the last days has to do with the time that the Lord came until He returns again. In other words, we're living in the last times. What it said here in this verse of First John 2.18. <clears throat> and we'll say more about that verse when we get to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got a scratching in my throat. But uh, I will point out this, you know, people that spend a lot of time in eschatology, that is, uh, the second coming of Christ, talk a lot about the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? When is the Antichrist going to come? And so on and so forth. Well, Antichrist has been around all along. As it says here, Uh, that Antichrist was there in John's day. But that other... Other epistles spoke about the last time. Uh, look at First Peter uh, chapter one. First Peter chapter one. In other words, First uh, John goes in clash with these other epistles. <clears throat> in First Peter one uh, verse five who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 20 of the same chapter. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And we might, uh, while we are here, Look at Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And truly we are living in a day as described here. Uh, also in Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy speaks of this these last days and times. Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse one this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come and then one other in Hebrews chapter one. Uh, verse 2, well, i read verse 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son whom He hath appointed heir of all things. So you can see the last times, the last days, and all of this. Uh, 1 John uh, goes along with that same uh concept. to whom was this epistle written? The audience, in other words and though a it is a general epistle for believers and it's for all believers, it is and has been and considered, that John was writing to a Jewish audience. And I think that we can see that particularly in 1 John 2.2 where he said that for He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, it is not for our sins only, Jews, but for the whole world, that is, Jews and Gentiles. But with that in mind, we need to keep one thing particularly uh, in mind always, not only with this epistle... But with the gospel of John. And that is, whether it's Jew or Gentile, this is written to believers. It's not written to unbelievers. In other words, John three sixteen that so many people like to talk about was not written to unbelievers. Because as we know, and I'm not going to turn there and turn but I'll quote it <coughs> and point out what we pointed out before. John three sixteen simply says for God so loved the world, whatever world that is that he loved, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth that is is believing. It's not whosoever will believe, it's whosoever is believing. Whosoever believeth has, hath, present tense, eternal life. So John 3.16 is not saying that whosoever will believe, then he will have or be, uh, he will be given eternal life. John 3.16 is just simply saying, whoever is already believing has eternal life. But to show that uh, this epistle, as well as the Gospel of John, to show that this is written to believers, look at First John 513. 1 John 5:13. These things have I written unto you that believe. Now you can't get any plainer than that, can you? It's written to believers. It's not written to an unbeliever. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Brother Large preached to us this morning about... Do you know God? Well, First John, this epistle is written so that the believer may know that he has eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I said, well, it also says that not only that you know, but that you will believe. Well. Let's look at a few verb tenses. Believe is what's called present active participle. In other words, these things have I written unto you that continuing to believe, that's what we would say in our modern day, that you might continue to believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know, that is perfect, active, indicative, that is to have a settled, intuitive knowledge. That you might have a settled, intuitive knowledge. That ye have eternal life, the word have there is present, active, indicative. In other words, that you are continuing to have. is something that you have now and you continue to have. I like what A.T. Robertson said about this that John wishes them to have eternal life in Christ and to know that they have it but not with flippant superficiality and then in the last part of that that ye may believe on the name of the son of god ye may believe as what's called present active subjunctive that is that you may keep on believing so the verb, I mean the the tense <coughs> of the verbs, and the the grammar of the verse says that John is writing to believers that they might continue to know that they have eternal life, and that they might continue to keep on believing. Now we won't break it down like we did this, but look back in the second chapter of First John, particularly verses 13 and 14. 1 John 2:13-14. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the Word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So even those verses indicate that he's writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. And to show that this same... Truth is with the Gospel of John. Turn back with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, the Gospel of John. And I know that men who have studied Greek and gone to school should know these truths and if they don't preach this and they indicate that John 3.16 is to an unbeliever, they're not honest with God's Word. But John chapter 20, the last two verses, 30 and 31... And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Now the first belief there in verse 31... I know this doesn't mean much to you, but for somebody out there, in the uh, that may hear this, that may know something of the language, believe is the aorist active subjunctive. In other words, it's simply saying uh, that you may keep on believing. But these are written that ye might keep on believing. Keep on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, the second believing, is called, it's in the present active participle. In other words, we would say that this way continuing to believe. So if we were to read this it expanded as we would see it. Uh, as it is really uh, what it's really meaning. But these are written that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that continuing to believe you might have, and the word have here is present active subjunctive, that is, that you may keep on having life through His name or literally, in His name. So you can see that John's Gospel was not written to unbelievers, but it was written to encourage believers to continue in the faith. And the first epistle of John, likewise, was written to believers to continue in the faith. It's amazing what an understanding of the grammar of the scriptures reveals when people will uh, give the accuracy of it. So that's to whom it was written. And for the purpose, it goes without question, regardless of the composition of the epistle. There are several purposes of which we will give a few. (coughs) (coughs) We've stated the overall reason why it was written, but one of the things that it was written that you might continue to believe, that you might have fellowship with God. Which includes the people of God. Look in the first chapter. No, let's look at chapter 5. No, chapter 1. I'll get it right in a minute. Chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, Declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Now notice that. John said, I'm writing this, that you might have fellowship with us. And if you have fellowship with us, you're going to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Father because we have fellowship with Him. See that? Also in the third chapter of First John, verses 10 and 11, In this the children of God are manifest, that it made known, and the children of the devil are made known. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So one of the purposes of this is that we might have fellowship with God and have fellowship with God's people. Because as we shall see, those who do not have fellowship with God's people do not have fellowship with God. And those who have fellowship with God desire to have fellowship with God's people, period. Another purpose for writing this is that we might have fullness of joy. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full you won't have the full joy of the lord study first john and then practice first john another purpose for writing this was against antinomianism that is those that would Say that we don't have to worry about the law and we can live any way we want to. Chapter 2, verse 4 He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. We see these same things in other verses in other epistles. In fact, in Second Peter chapter two and verse one, but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. In other words, the false prophets were denying that the Lord bought His people. And when they do that, they're denying, they're bringing on themselves uh, destruction. Dropping down into the 19th verse of that same chapter, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. And then another parallel passage in Jude 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. People that deny the commandments of God and that they are uh, essential, also deny the Lord. Another purpose is a warning against false doctrine. In chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. And then verse 26, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And in chapter 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that Spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. (coughs) So he's writing to warn them against false doctrine. He's also writing to them that they might know the joy of eternal life. I've already read uh, 1 John 2. Uh, You see that in uh, verses 12 and 13. I've already read 13. But look in the third chapter of 1 John. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, showing knowledge of eternal life. Verse 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Chapter 4, verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God chapter four verses six and eight through eight. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not heareth uh, uh, heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Chapter five, verses one and two. First of all, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And then verse 13, which we've already looked at, but we'll read again in light of this. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we can see so far some of the purposes that we might have fellowship with God and God's people, that we might have fullness of joy, that we might be warned against antinomianism, that we might be warned against false doctrine, and that we might have knowledge of eternal life. And there there are other things that we could bring out, but I thought uh, this to be sufficient. However... there is one other thing that we need to bring to your attention that will describe the overall and overarching purpose of this epistle. And it is to battle against what was called in that day Gnosticism. Gnosticism. In other words, there were people that claimed to have some special knowledge of God that others do not have. But I thought a good summary of this is given by John Gill, so I will uh, impose on your patience and read this from Gill and try to enlarge on some of the things that Gill makes mention of by way of explanation. Gill stated the following, the occasion and manifest design of it that is of the epistle is to, pr- to promote brotherly love which he enforces upon the best principles and with the strongest arguments taken from the love of God and Christ from the commandment of Christ and it being its being an evidence of regeneration and the truth and the glory of a profession of religion, and also to oppose and stop the growth of licentious principles and practices and heretical doctrines. The licentious principles and practices he condemns are these, that believers have no sin in them, or need not be concerned about it, that is, not be concerned about sin, nor about their outward conversation. So be they that had but knowledge. And these men boasted of their communion with God, notwithstanding their impieties, and which were and which, and which were the sentiments and practices of the Nicolaitans, Gnostics, and Carpocratians. Now you remember we talked about the Nicolaitans in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and so uh, I will uh, stop here and say this, that the, uh, the, the Gnostics, well, I'm going to finish reading Gil, then I'll come back to Nicolaitans, Gnostics, and uh, Carpocratians. The heresies he sets himself against and refutes are such as regard the doctrine of the Trinity and the person and office of Christ. There are some who denied a distinction of persons in the Trinity and asserted there was but one person that the Father was not distinct from the Son nor the Son from the Father and by confounding both tactically denied their words either as Simon Magus and his followers. Re, re, followers, Regards had to be in these, 1 John 2.22 and others, as unbelieving Jews denied that Jesus was the Messiah or that Christ was come in the flesh. These are taken notice of in 1 John 2.22. Others that professed to believe in Jesus Christ denied His proper deity and asserted He was a mere man and did not exist before He took flesh of the Virgin as Ebion and Serenthus. Ebion and Serenthus were people that lived in John's day. These are opposed in 1 John one. And others denied His real humanity, affirming that He was a mere phantom. That is, Jesus didn't really have a body. He just looked like He had a body. That He only had the appearance of a man and assumed human nature and suffered and died and rose again in show only and not in reality of which sort were the followers of uh, Saturnius and Basilicus, or Basilides, which are confuted in 1 John 1.1. The epistle is by Clement Alexandrius, or this epistle is by Clement of Alexandrius, and this Clement of Alexandrius lived from about, 150 AD to 215 AD was called the Greater and Larger Epistle. In other words, Clement, who lived in the 150 to 215, he called First John the Greater or Larger Epistle. It being so in comparison of the other two that followed, that is, Second and Third John. Now, <clears throat> he mentioned, Gil mentioned the Nicolaitans, the Gnostics, and the Carpocratians. The Nicolaitans, as we said, we studied that in Revelation, was described by a man by the name of Iranius. And Arrhenius lived from 130 to 202 A.D. Or thereabout. But he said the Nicolaitans are the followers of that Nicholas who was one of the seven first ordained to the deaconite, that is, to be a deacon by the apostles, that in uh, Acts chapter 6. They lead lives of unrestrained indulgence. The character of these men is very plainly pointed out in the Apocalyptic. Of John, that is Revelation, when they were represented as teaching that it is a matter of indifference to practice adultery and to eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, you know, Christ has died for my sins, I can live like I want to, and so on. I heard of a man, uh, I don't. Remember whether I ever met this man or not. I may have, but <clears throat> he was actually a member at uh, Mount Zion at one time. But he left his wife and took up with another woman, and he said uh, that well, that's just predestinated of God, and uh, you know that was just uh, nothing to it. Well. I question that man's Christianity, to say the least. Next, you have the Gnostics. You remember, Brother Davis, this morning, uh, David, uh, uh, yeah, Brother David, this morning, spoke about the Greek word "gnosko." Well, it's spelled G-N-O-S-K-I-O, but uh, uh, Gnostics comes from that word. Gnosco or Gnosis is spelled G N O S T I C. And so Gnosticism is a collection of religious ideas and systems which coalesced in the late first century AD among Jewish and early Christian sects. These various groups emphasize personal spiritual knowledge above the Orthodox teaching. Traditions and authority of religious institutions. In other words, it's whatever I feel, whatever I think. It doesn't matter what the Word says. And you run into people like that all, all the time. <clears throat> Gnostics were dualist and worshipped two or more gods. Christians are monished. We worship one God. Gnostics focus on eradication of ignorance. Christians' concern was the eradication of sin. Gnosticism is a form of so-called Christian intellectualism. Gnosticism is the belief that human beings contain a piece of God, the highest good or divine spark within themselves, which has fallen from the immaterial world into the bodies of humans. And that's really Greek mythology. All physical matter is subject to decay, rotting, and death. And then Carpocratians, they were a group of people that were named after a man by the name of Carpocrates of Alexandria. And he was the founder of an early Gnostic sect from the first half of the second century. I mentioned in this, or Gill mentioned. one of these Gnostics by the name of, uh, of uh, Serenthius. And the story has it that uh, Serenthius was in one of the public baths and the Apostle John walked in the public bath and saw Serenthius in there and he ran out. John did ran out right quick for fear that the building would fall in on them. That's how serious he took heresy. He didn't want to be around it at all. And I mentioned, Gil mentioned two other men, Saturnius and Basilides. They were the name of a couple of other Gnostics. And so... With regard to that, I'm not going to look at all of the verses because some of these verses we've already looked at. But I'm going to give you 11 reasons for writing this epistle with regard to Gnosticism and other. We've really covered this in some ways. One is that the reader would have full joy. That's 1 John 1 4. That we not sin. 1 John 2 1. There is no new commandment differing from the old commandment. 1 John 2 7. And yet there is a new commandment. And we'll talk about that. 1 John 2 8. Those two statements seem to be contradictory but hopefully we'll explain that when we get to them that our sins are forgiven first john 2:12 it was written to fathers who have known christ from the beginning first john 2:13 and 14 it is written to young men who have overcome the wicked one and are strong and the word of god abides in them first john 2:13 and 14 is written unto children who know the Father, that is, God, 1 John 2.13. It is written to believers because they know the truth and that no lie is of the truth, 1 John 2.21. It's written to those who would seduce the righteous, 1 John 2.26. And as we saw in First John 5.13, it was written unto believers so that they know they have eternal life and so that they will continue in their belief. Now I'm going to give you an overview of our next point, but we're not going to go into it. We'll look at this in more detail, Lord willing, the next time. 1 John, as we've already indicated, is an epistle concerning knowledge. And Brother David brought that out this morning. The English word, know, known, knoweth, knew, and all such, are found thirty nine times in thirty one verses. Now think about that. The word no is found, you know, or some uh, uh, some <coughs> uh, some cognitive of it is found 39 times in 31 verses. The word perceive, which is, comes from the Greek word gnosko, is found one time. The word see, which comes from eido, which is a word for know, one time. Behold... Comes from Ido one time. Therefore, the thirty-nine verses of the thirty-nine times up above plus these three equal forty-two times. The word no matches the Greek word for know or knowledge. Now as I said there are two Greek words, ginosko and ido. They're so close in definition that they almost appear to be the same, but we're going to try to uh, explain that, Lord willing, the next time. But I wanted you to see how often the word know, known, knoweth, uh, perceive see be, behold all of these words we have 42 times in this little epistle of 5 chapters in other words god wants, god is teaching us what we are to know from this epistle This is an epistle of knowledge, in many ways. But Lord William, we'll take up with that next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the pungency of this epistle. John is straightforward; he's not beating around the bush. And yet, the tenderness of John is brought out in such phrases as my little children. And the overall principle of God's people loving one another as well as loving the Lord Jesus Christ. An apostle of love in many ways. This man who leaned upon the breast of our Lord. I pray that you would bless us to gain from this epistle and intimacy with You as we continue to live out our lives upon this earth. In Jesus' name, Amen.